Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart of the centre of enterprise IT. In full disclosure, this week is a little bit chaotic because at various points in time, each and every one of the hosts has not been scheduled to attend, but never all of them at the same time. We thought we were going to get an episode until we thought we weren't going to get an episode, and then Lilac and I both just squeaked under the whatever the metaphor I'm I'm losing track of my mixed metaphors there. (laughs) But you have Lilac and me. I'm just in the door. I flew from London where I spent the week with 18,000 of my closest friends at AWS Summit London and hope I didn't bring back anything more than some lovely memories. And so a little bit discombobulated, but we'll make it work. And Lilac, what have you been up to this week? Oh, gosh. You know, what's interesting is that this week has felt like really, really, we're back to the office. Hi, everyone's here. We're here. We'd like to say hello. And um, it's been amazing to see faces and to see people at this scale. You know, Um, I saw a sign uh, as I was in the city. My hotel was in the city and uh, there was a dental practice. They had a sign out front. Welcome back, lovely office people. We've missed you and your teeth missed us. I thought that was well done. That's very clever. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. And we haven't seen anybody's teeth in so long. Um, I I think what's interesting is um, I I think that we, I felt validated. I felt validated this week because all this time we've been talking on this podcast, like off and on about the value of um, chatting at the water cooler or the coffee maker or whatever. And um, it's just real. Like, it's just real. You, you, you find that all of that um, time, like, firstly, you're, you're what, your official productivity drops, right? Because that 30 minute gap that you would usually spend finishing the thing is, is completely gone because somebody stepped up to your desk and said a thing. And then you were talking for 15 minutes, which was amazing. But separately, wow, like uh, the wheels of life get greased by the chitty chitty chat in a way that is refreshing and delightful. And I don't think I'm ever going to take for granted the random rants of a man at a coffee maker ever again. <laughs> yeah, we, we watered the social network this week. Same here, because, you know, I didn't just go to to London for the AWS Summit, interesting as that was. I had a ton of side meetings. But in between those, you know, I went to lunch with one of my team members who's in London and I just caught up with a whole ton of people around coffee machines where we had various rants. Uh, yes, it, w- it was all wonderful. Delightful. It turns out our lunacy is actually delightful. Yes, 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 yes. But, I mean, as I've said before, I mean, I'm, I always was in this sort of hybrid mode. I'm a hermit and then I go out and socialize and then I go back into hermit mode. And that, that's always worked for me. I'm, I'm not sure I'm cut out for commuting to the office every single day. Um, but I know there are people like that. It's actually interesting because I feel like now we're going to have to solve for the reverse problem right now. I, mm. I Did you see Airbnb, for instance, they, they explicitly adopting that, which makes sense for them because, you know, they have Airbnbs all over the place. Yeah. But they, they're going fully remote. Uh, they got rid of all salary bands. It's just, um, you know, I think they have country salary levels, but they don't do okay. East Coast, West Coast. Yeah. Flyover. Right. <laughs> um, like some companies do controversially. Uh, but they built into that plan that everyone is expected to get FaceTime at least a week, a quarter, and depending on your role, possibly quite a bit more, which has always been the model that, you know, back in the day we worked on when we were a team. I think it's fine. Um, I think the challenge is that we're, 
I don't know. My concern is that we might be overcompensating or overcorrecting. So there's things that, that have come up now. All of a sudden people are traveling again. And I feel like, and I love that, by the way, like all of May is an offsite for me for one product or another. But the the challenge... Yeah, my wife is less of a fan. Go figure. Yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that, I mean, for me, I'm blessed to be at headquarters and be able to sort of bring all the people to me. Right, um, right, right. And and it's actually not like we we didn't design it that way. That was the, the ways of we, of visas and travel made that the right answer. Um, however, like uh, the the challenge is is that now all of a sudden we're back to a place where people have to. I think there's a logistical challenge to travel that is unevenly distributed across the population, right? And and so having. Um, I think it's weird to have all of a sudden people have to say, well, actually, I can't leave my children for that long or I don't have childcare. I don't have whatever. And and all the, like it sort of wasn't a thing for two years, you know, and and for some of us, my son is eight, you know, a huge number of 25 of, percent of his life. I did not have to even have the conversation about whether or not I could leave him and who was going to watch him and how we were going to get through it. And that it's interesting to come back to that place. And I sense that people are reticent again to sort of raise those flags and say, actually, this doesn't work for my life or whatever. And oh, I think we need to be conscious. Yeah. Uh, we need to be conscious of that, right, as we move forward. The other thing I think we need to be conscious of is the if you're in the office 40 hours a week, as I am, because I actually prefer it, um, I, there's a tremendous capability to shove all the work work into the evenings and end up in a different place as well. And so just... Uh, really, I think recalibrating that we spoke about a couple. That's of weeks right. Ago. Yeah. That's right. And so recalibrating our our schedules and our lives. I think we need to maybe as those of us who are managers or leaders in organizations, understanding that everybody is actually actively recalibrating around yet another way of existing because a two year pandemic is enough for that to be quite entrenched or ingrained in our patterns. Yeah, that's a, an interesting thought. So. This week was a particularly bad uh, re-entry uh, for my poor wife because it turned out that she, literally all of our local supports network uh, broke down as well. Uh, but I was not aware of that when I booked the flight. This is more recent developments. And also she had a nightmare of a week at work in her own right. So as proper black belt uh, <laughs> getting through the week stuff. So I feel slightly, slightly guilty right now. Hey. I'm sure you'll make sure that she has plenty of time this weekend to recharge. Yes, 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 yes. That's uh, an absolute given. But yeah, it's um, it's an interesting uh, dynamic doing that. And then there was talk in the early days of the pandemic, is this going to change offices? And one idea I quite liked was, and, I mean, not for, this wouldn't work for people like you like to go into headquarters. So maybe there should still be, you know, a smaller headquarters office but if you plan the office around the fact that maybe fifty percent of the of the time there are people there who work there every day, but the rest of the space is all for transient people, and transient people don't need a hot desk except briefly. Ideally, they should be in town doing stuff. There's a reason why they came there, not just sit at a hot desk. So what they need is tons and tons of meeting rooms and auditoriums and hang spaces and coffee and these types of things. So maybe we need to go back to that sort of early dot com fun office mode uh, for that purpose. The, the office as hub for remote people, but who need to work together. They don't need to sit at sit long alone. tables with nice yeah. cats and headphones. We sort of have that actually. It's about fifty fifty in our space, but we definitely have like 
um, strangely shaped couches and, um, and, you know, ping pong tables and things. Um, and that's, I think that's the right thing. I mean, for me, that comes in every day, I, I, I will fully admit and, and shout out to all those rocketeers who are happen to be on listening to the <laughs> podcast. I absolutely uh, do not hot desk. I absolutely staked my claim. And that's where I sit. Um, partly because the microphone for this very podcast has to live somewhere. And there that place will be in my desk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Privileges of rank. There you go. That right, or at least consistency. Privilege. Consistency. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. No, and there was a psychological study. I'm never going to find the link now, but uh, they took three groups of people. So this is entirely from memory. So one group of people they had a completely unadorned uh, working space, uh, this which was aggressively cleaned up after them. So full clean desk policy. The second group of people had the ability to personalize their working environment uh, to a small degree. You know, the, back in the day before it became problematic, it would have been the Dilbert cartoon. Uh, these days, I'm not sure what the uh, the acceptable equivalent is. I think Effenbirds is not the acceptable equivalent. <laughs> but we love Effenbirds so much. We do love Effenbirds. Um, and, but the interesting one was the third group of people. So they, they let these people personalize their working space the same as the second group. But then someone playing the part of a supervisor would come in and rearrange things. <gasps> and they were the unhappiest of all. Of so course. The, the happiest people were the people who could do their own thing, of course. The sort of medium unhappy were the people who could do nothing. But the absolute worst was you'd personalize your space and then someone came and messed with your stuff. Oh, God. Touching the stuff is... is it's no, no, because then you just feel violated, right? Like, don't move with a stapler. Not that I have a. Does anybody have a stapler anymore? Is that a thing? Uh, you know, I had to buy a hole punch for my kids. Really? I know. I was surprised. They, huh. they still exist. Interesting. Uh, I have so many follow up questions. Under what <laughs> circumstances does anybody need a hole punch anymore? Maybe with those little reinforcements as well to make sure that the paper doesn't tear. Wow. Oh, I haven't seen any of those. Wow. Yeah, I remember those. They came in a. Uh, on a roll. Oh yeah, or a roll, the sticky ones. You guys, yeah. you sp- you played extra for the self sticky ones. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing <laughs> luxury. <laughs> Definitely that. Now, anyway, so what else has been going on in the news? I mean, I suppose we already mentioned Twitter in the context of that Brian Chesky uh, uh, tweet thread. So we have to talk about Elon Musk. I think we have to talk about Elon Musk. I think that there's a contractual requirement to say what the Every hell Elon podcast. Musk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a whole yeah. Otherwise, we just get rejected from the podcast system. I mean, I keep seeing new dimensions added to the chessboard. So it started out as fairly straightforward. Musk is buying Twitter because he enjoys Twitter and he has a lot of money. Bam, done. Then it's turned into he's trying to fake people out into thinking he's going to buy Twitter, but he's not. He's just trying to pump up the nine point whatever that he bought so he could sell those. Then right now, obviously, he put in the big bids and he got financing with his Tesla shares. Uh, And so people are back to, okay, he's actually going to do this. But why is he doing it? Is he trying to get his money out of Tesla uh, in some sneaky, underhanded way? Or is he still buying Twitter? Right. (laughs) But is Tesla, the the point people are making is his Tesla stock is going to, to create a when he sells it, which you'll have to, to fund buying Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I started getting headaches, but I often do with anything involving Musk because none of it makes sense. But he has, uh, I mean, we've all seen the cartoon, right? Apu uh, diving in front of the shotgun. And it's uh, weird nerds 
Elon Musk valid criticism. I'll have to find it and stick it in the show notes. The I'm a, a proud Tesla owner, right? And so I actually enjoy the vehicle. Um, but uh, the man is is clearly special. Um, and uh, I feel like with it, the greatest respect. And Mike, another host, also is a Tesla owner. Uh, and if he were here, I'd be ribbing him much more mercilessly. Um, You're so kind. The, they're not. They're not cars for people who like cars. Really. No, they're not cars for people who like cars. No. They're cars for people who um, have... They feel so badly me, on car metrics. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're interested in an electric vehicle, right, which is the <laughs> first cut that, that's important. Yeah. Um, and for me, I wanted a, a crossover because I was a Subaru owner. Um, you, you really are down to a very vanishingly small group of vehicles that are potentially possible. And honestly, for um, if I think of them less as a car and more as a mobile app, um, they're fine as a mobile app, right? And they have more buttons than I need. Um, just like any piece of software, I feel like they, they meet the Office 365 test, right? Of like, I use 20% of the features of this thing. Um, and anytime I need to find out how to actually use the next one, I have to Google it because who knows how to stop the auto dimming rearview mirror. And, um, and honestly, like, I, I don't like, car like, I don't dislike cars. Cars are fine. Um, I don't have any particular love of cars. They need to get me from one place to another. And this thing is delightful. Um, so it meets, it meets my requirements, but nobody who's like truly like a driver driver who likes the way the cars do the car thing. Even if you like an electric car, I don't think Tesla is your answer. Or even um, how they're built or how they are, the controls. I've, I've test driven a Tesla. I've written in many Teslas. They, they're just orthogonal to cars. They're, <laughs> they're, they're a different thing. They solve a different problem. I'm very interested wonder... in EVs. My next car will 100% be an EV. I've got a short list I'm building. Yeah, um, but it'll be a BMW. <laughs> no, no I, they were, I, they're in my black book as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking, you know the... Uh, and my wife knows this and has already threatened to divorce me. I don't okay. have to tell me. Um, data. The, the VW ID Buzz. I don't know it. The hippie but... microbus, you know, the surfer van. Oh, yes. 60s. No, you can't have that. No. <laughs> But it's so cute. <laughs> it is so cute. It is so cute. And this is somebody who actually wanted the VW bug when they reintroduced it like there two decades go. ago. I was like all in for the car that came with the Daisy. Um, and you're still not going to let me have it. Okay. I, I mean, it, it's a funny, it's a funny thing to drive that around. Um, okay. Well, I'll cross that off. Uh, <laughs> but the back to Elon Musk because we have to. I mean, we have to. The the other question is what will he actually do to Twitter? And I think I'm coming around to position that he's going to do what he often does and no submarines got sent to Thailand. Flint still has problems with its drinking water. Uh, the climate um, noticeably did not get solved, which are all things that he promised to address. And so maybe he did we'll... send someone to space. He, he is doing quite well with the rockets and I absolutely give him that. Um, but yeah. And you know, Tesla to give him his due. I mean, I don't like them personally, but, you can't argue that they made electric cars a credible option where they weren't right. before. It's a bit right. like Uber. I hate Uber, but without Uber, we wouldn't have all of the ride hail options that we have now that are uh, much more ethically amenable than, right. than Uber is because nothing would have forced the taxi companies to actually cooperate. Right. So uh, maybe we do need these forcing functions, move fast and break things, but... I'm not sure this I like. <laughs> what that well, means. I feel like the challenge with Twitter, which is sort of, um, and to give it to Elon Musk actually is, 
firstly, he owns, he would own it like outright. Like he wouldn't be beholden to anybody at all. Um, which is a fascinating dynamic, which is noted. I think it was the Daily Show that actually noted this, but like very different from being a publicly traded company. Like oh, you yes. do actually well, have some amount of fiduciary responsibility to somebody. <laughs> with one noticeable downside that people have pointed out, uh, Twitter has until now been able to tell the Communist Party of China to go take a hike when they wanted censorship. Elon Musk is very highly dependent on China for manufacturing right. and as a market and would right. not be able to do that right exactly like it changes the dynamic of what is not i mean this is the issue with something like twitter or facebook and on the other hand he could problem. run it at a loss for years and years and years he could he, likes he absolutely could yeah. but i feel like you like the degree to which social media platforms as distinct from vehicles are a are a are a public good that is owned by a single machine is where this whole thing comes together right is essentially like they Social media, the word media is sort of the anchor point here, right? When we think about the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or any other like like actual media publication or traditional media publication, there's always been a responsibility or an ethical code or a sort of like Hippocratic oath associated with those industries that believe it or person. don't believe it, yeah. criticize them, don't criticize them, talk about Rupert Murdoch, whatever. Uh, Twitter never had that. Facebook never really had that. And they tried to build it in arrears to keep their noses slightly cleaner. The notion of a, an individual like Elon Musk essentially becoming a Zuckerberger, and yes, I'm going to say his name that way every time, yeah. is, um, <laughs> is, you know, I think just another, um, uh, forgive me, but like extremely powerful, arrogant, myopic white man running a large platform that drives like social change and social impact around the world. And that does not feel particularly great to localize that power so completely with, you know, essentially a handful of men in Silicon Valley at this point. Yeah. 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 And even worse, Jack Dorsey is cozying up to Elon Musk uh, in the hope that Elon will be too distracted by his various other companies to run Twitter full time. And so we'll need someone to help out. And that could be Jack. Obviously. Dorsey. I mean, obviously, because he's not going to he's not going to sit there taking, you know, product launch meetings at Twitter. That's not a thing. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It's um, I'm going to be very curious. Uh, there have already been some weird things happening with all of the account follower gyrations. Have been seeing that? No, but, but I'm not on the tweeters. I'm not like that's just not a thing I do because it, I, I've never managed to consume it i i struggle with the model it just blinks around for me i can't handle it yeah no I, re I remember we had this conversation years ago and part of the problem with twitter is that they haven't fixed it we could i could replay the exact same conversation if i could remember but basically it boiled down to twitter has a terrible it's a terrible business in part because it has a terrible onboarding experience you sign up for twitter you're a new user you get uh nothing and right They've started doing a little bit to suggest, oh, you might want to follow, like, but they'll give you the most random things, like Bill Gates and World Wrestling Federation uh, <laughs> and Beyonce, and th th they'll be your recommendations. And, uh, okay, and you actually have to put in a fair amount of work to assemble a Twitter feed that is representative of your list and your likes and then you know, uh, your values, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's constant pruning to continue that. And lots of people just don't want to put in that work. And so Twitter's market value is limited 
by that and by the fact they've never figured out how to monetize the outsized impact it has in certain sectors. Everyone in tech is on Twitter. Everyone in media is on Twitter. You know, the, the liberal media bubble, that's pretty much everyone hanging out on Twitter. Um, but also the conservative media bubble is hanging out on Twitter, right? Like it just, also, yes. It, it, the, the delight of Twitter is that you can feel like you're in a noisy room filled with people just like you. Exactly. I built my bubble and that's how I like it. Um, but that's the problem with Twitter as a business, that people like you look at it and go, eh, it looks like a, a lot of work to, to make this do anything interesting. And that's why it's so influential and so vastly money losing. Until very recently, and now it makes tiny profits compared to its influence. It's interesting because like, I felt the same way about Pinterest, which is a totally different thing, but I could, I honestly cannot make it work. And I recognize that I'm an old, like I just can't do it. Um, and there's just certain platforms that don't. I actually went and specifically banned Pinterest from my search results. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want any, like, I don't understand how this works. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I think that we sort of grew into Facebook as Facebook grew in a way that was different. And so it became mm. functional. Now I don't hang out there very much. But and, and LinkedIn, I, I think the rant that Mike and Zach would love to have is the LinkedIn rant. They do love to rant about LinkedIn, um, which also took a hard left, I think, in the last 12 months and has Under become... Microsoft ownership. Under Microsoft ownership, I did not expect that particular platform to go to a virtue signaling cesspool. But here we are. <laughs> um, I don't think Elon Musk is going to do anything good for Twitter. Like, I, I, If he I think does he... anything, it won't be good. I think there is a, a reasonable chance of a good outcome, which is that he does nothing. And just gets bored and wanders off. Uh, I think that's quite likely. And that would be sort of the way of the water and flint. Um, I, I'm not sure if he could be convinced to monetize things differently, for example, like that feels like his strength, right? That's why it feels like, like the SpaceX worked is yeah. because he, he doesn't seem to do as well with altruism as he does with capitalism. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's the South African emerald mine owner in him. <laughs> maybe he will, you know, figure out subscription message right now you, you there is that uh us only twitter subscription thing um blue something i forget it's not available to me so i haven't yeah. really looked into it uh, and you get you can do super follows and tip people through twitter there's a whole ecosystem of stuff that all feels very much let's throw a bunch of things against the wall and see what sticks and so far yeah. nothing has really stuck maybe yeah. he will figure out the the right combination of things there and All I can say is if my car starts tweeting, we are done. I have to turn off that button. <laughs> I, it could do. You've got a big screen in there. You could fit a lot of tweets. You could fit a lot of tweets. <laughs> there would be nothing more distracting than the car actually showing you the tweets as you were driving. Though he did implement karaoke, which is really a choice when you're driving. Mm, yes. Karaoke. Like karaoke, but for your car. One of many things that car people object to in, in that vehicle. Uh, <laughs> really? That's it. Not the whoopee cushion sounds. Okay. <laughs> uh, for me, it's the lack of physical controls. I hate that everything's on a touchscreen. I like things that I can touch and click. But you'd like drive a stick shift too. Yes, I do. There's that. It's okay. No, I'm Everybody gets I'm to choose. Yes. Um, but we should talk. So having completely beaten a dead horse uh, with uh, the whole Elon Musk thing, we, we didn't really know anything we're just speculating wildly because that's what we that's have what do. we do here actually yes 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 um 
But going back for a moment to what we're nominally about with enterprise IT. Uh, so AWS Summit uh, this week in London uh, also coincided with Amazon dropping their results. Uh, so AWS grew 37%, but it slowed a bit from uh, last quarter even though that's faster than analysts predicted. So real whipsaw of emotions there <laughs> as you read the uh, the reports. Uh, it seems about right. So it's uh, it's growing. I was kind of interested at AWS Summit, though, to note quite how much of the keynote was given over to a pitch for, hey, here's where you should move to the cloud. Um, really? Which could have been literally any time in the last decade. And talking to people, it seems that attendance at these events is still very much... Uh, cloud newbies trying to uh, to figure out moving to the cloud. Big public sector presence. UK public sector is beginning to wake up to the potential of the cloud. Ooh, better late than never. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so there's all sorts of things going on in in that vein, which kind of points to something we've talked about on the podcast before, which is adoption of the cloud. That we are still in the early days. There's still a lot of adoption uh, to come. Yes. Or, or adoption of, as we've said before, cloud-like models, wherever they, they end up running, but pay-as-you-go, pay-per-demand. Uh, serverless definitely had uh, its time in the sun at the AWS Summit. And I think that's starting to get to something that uh, might actually be innovative, as opposed to the mainframes, because you know paying for... The compute time, right. buying an hour of compute is not actually new, as uh, you know, you're always right. keen to remind us. I am. But fully serverless paper requests scale yeah. to zero when it's not in use. And that's a new level of granularity. I'm interested to see what that enables. And it's not going to be, you know, the big static workloads, but it's going to be the new things, the things you're not sure whether they'll take off. You don't know how big they'll be. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that that could get unlocked. I think we're seeing a real shift in the pricing models right now, right? Which I think is, it was natural. When we first moved to cloud, people knew how to count things they could kick. And so we priced everything <laughs> yeah. on the basis of how many things are you kicking? Um, and that's and that's fine. That's a very natural way to sort of initiate a change in like platform and framework like this. But now we're moving to a place where people are sort of pay per drink, right? And there's that yes. desire to define what the drink is. And I think the challenge that I foresee, and maybe this is me, um, but I, I'm in a million pricing discussions and I have been for like a decade, that the question is twofold always. When a sales rep calls you and you're interested in buying the thing, you need to be able to conceive in your mind fairly quickly how many drinks you're going to be drinking. The world yeah. is really uncomfortable with a meter that is actually impossible a for them to, meter. Yeah. to, or to estimate, right? So if I told you today, Dominic, you're going to pay for, for, by the number of hairs on your head, you would be like, um, I, I have this sense that the number is in the thousands. I don't actually know if it's 10,000 or 100,000. And I'm uncomfortable with this conversation because I cannot estimate what the cost will be. The bars are too widely apart, yeah. Exactly. And like, honestly, if the hairdresser told you you were going to pay by the number of hairs on your head, you wouldn't know how much you were going to pay. And that would make you uncomfortable getting a haircut. And so you have to pick a meter that people actually understand or can anchor on. And so these sort of meters of like how many API calls feel to me like they don't miss, meet that test in a number of situations because... People can't actually conceive of what that would be. On the other yeah. hand, the notion of actually paying for what you use, use 
is super appealing, right? And so it, the, the it's like advertising. Of, I know that fifty percent of my spending is wasted. I just don't know which fifty percent. It's frustrating, right? And so the sort of I think we're moving toward a cut of the take metrics, which are sort of for every widget you sell, pay me three percent or five percent, right? And that um uh and and that we can begin to conceive because it feels like much more aligned with my success in my business. That only works if you can actually provide a revenue or a cost savings metric associated with the service that you're providing. So I think, I feel like we're in a place of great flux with yeah. respect to pricing models and that we are certainly moving away from CPU and memory, Yes. but even storage, even terabyte actually begins to feel a little bit more like consumption. Um, and it will be interesting to see how this evolves. And I think it will depend significantly on the buyer. If you have a CIO buyer versus a CDO buyer versus a business buyer, you're going to look for different meters for the solutions. Which is where I was going with that. If Zach were with us, he would no doubt bring up, you know, no code line of business people. Or that's going to be very right. different. So as you say, I think there's going to be a lot of flux, a lot of change. We're going to be working out the financial models. And one of the key points will be uh, one of the key metrics for success, I think, will be people who can offer an off-ramp from serverless. If your thing grows to a certain point, we're not just going to, you know, the meter keeps running faster and faster right. until you can't see the numbers. At a certain point, we're going to say, okay, you now need your own box that you can kick, 10 That's boxes right. that you can kick. Uh, and right. we're going to make it easy to transition your workload onto that uh, right. rather than just continue coining it. Um, but these are not technical problems anymore. We're at the point of tech uh, as a maturing industry, that a lot of the interesting problems are problems of pricing model. We we know how to do technically serverless. You know, there's still some interesting things to be addressed, and there's lots of interesting engineering to be done. But you know, broad strokes, we we know how to do this. We're not quite sure we've worked hard to pay for it, and that's uh, I think an interesting point for us to be at as an industry. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think. It'll be interesting to watch it evolve. I, I feel like procurement people are going to lose their mind over the course of the next five years. So good luck to you all. We're here. What do you. you mean? I can't budget this. Right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. And well, we can offer them a drink. We can. <laughs> but um, that's exactly bang on 30 minutes. So I've, we have achieved it. We managed it. And we did. Congratulations to us. Uh, you should absolutely follow the show on Twitter at Roll for Enterprise or on our LinkedIn page. The theme music that's playing up in my voice right now is by the Napa Ballista. Uh, let's try to be more organized for next week. Uh, so do send us suggestions and or nominate guests for future episodes. And we will talk to you then. Thank you. Thank you.